you're seeing what's below whatever's in front of you, right? So like a structure or like the value structure or all of these beautiful abstract elements that sit under the figure or whatever's around us. So I started making those drawings and I was like, this is it. This is the, what I've been waiting for. This is the switch back to the figure. Cause I always knew I was going to be going back to the figure. And I was like, this is obviously what I need to be doing. It's what I want to be making. You know, I've been like slowly creeping up on it, but I just need to rip the bandaid off and start working with the figure again. Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 207th episode, I'm joined by Erica Hess, who recently moved to Columbus, Ohio from Boston. We talk a great deal about her studio practice and painting, which explores a lot of narratives and figurative work, as well as still life, landscape, and how all of those things come together. She also has I Like Your Work podcast. We're going to be talking a bit about that and her interviews that she does there. So again, a lot of great stuff coming up. I will take a moment to guide you around if you are joining us for the first time. Studio Break is a podcast and blog site. We feature a variety of different artists. They come on, they share their work. Of course, you can listen to the podcast right there on studiobreak.com, hitting the default player button. Again, you'll notice that each of the posts have images of the artist's work as well as links to their website so you can go and explore more. You can also listen in iTunes, so click that iTunes hyperlink and subscribe to the podcast there. We are on a number of social media formats, so please be sure and like our Facebook page. You can, of course, follow us on Twitter at Studio Break and on Instagram at Studio underscore Break. We'll make a quick note in regards to my personal world. Again, I currently have a painting sale going on at davidlinaway.com, so you can be sure to go and visit. So there's plenty of stuff for everyone. And, of course, that comes with free shipping domestically for the month of December. I'd also note that I am doing a giveaway painting. So if you go to Instagram and find me at David Linaway and look for the post entitled uh, Dairy Queen 2, again, you should see it. It looks like a Dairy Queen. If you like that painting, be sure and follow at David Linaway and at Studio underscore Break. Leave a comment and tag two friends and you might win that painting shipped to your home so that you can enjoy it. So again, be sure and do that as well. At the very least, please be sure and reach out and say hello. It's always great hearing from listeners and especially want to give a shout out to Lisa Bergant Coy, who was generous enough to make a donation. Again, thanks so much for listening. We're glad that you enjoy the podcast and appreciate that. So with my ramblings out of the way, here is our interview with Erica B. Hess. Stay tuned. Welcome to Studio Break. Erica Hess, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you so much, David, for having me on your show. Yeah, absolutely. And again, you are out of the Boston area, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? Or were? or? Yeah. So I was in the Boston area for about four years. I, I moved around quite a bit. But just recently, as in like two months ago, I relocated to uh, Columbus, Ohio. So I'm originally from Ohio. So coming back to be close to family and yeah, I've started meeting some artists in the area. Um, there's a lot of stuff happening in Cincinnati and Cleveland and Dayton, Ohio, too. So it's been a, a really cool, a really interesting move back. Yeah, interesting. And again, you know, travel is something that I always think about, especially to work and, you know, how it shapes your trajectory. So I think that'll be something interesting to kind of break down. I'm I'm curious, you know, were you, you know, practicing talking into microphones and painting when you were like, you know, five and... <laughs> You know, just imagining this future where you're going to be, you know, involved in making all this art and talking to artists. 
Oh my God. I love that. You know, I was always told that I was really loud as a kid. So maybe that has something to do with it. But um, I, I honestly, I started drawing a lot as a kid, probably around four or five is when I was really into it. And you know, I was lucky that my family supported that. You know, my mom put me into a drawing class at the local YMCA, which sadly didn't last very long. I'm from a really small town in Ohio, in southeastern Ohio, actually. And there just really wasn't a lot of support for the arts or a lot of that happening. But again, you know, I, I remember for a Christmas, um, kind of funny because we're coming up to that time, my sister actually bought me a life drawing set. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I was like 10 or something. <laughs> and it had like new drawings in it. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember taking it very seriously. I was very serious about like, I'm going to be drawing these nude figures and making this work. Right. Um, but, but yeah, and I, I really feel like um, growing up in a, a small area pre-internet, impacted my ability to be imaginative because literally there was nothing to do. So I had to entertain myself and I did that through, yeah, drawing and painting. Interesting, interesting. And so was that something that was like on a a trajectory in terms of thinking then, you know, as you're getting older, like I'm going to kind of pursue this? Were there other things that you were interested in or was it, again, it's so weird to think about the, the choice that people make, you know, like there should be an art path time machine where people can go back and be like, <laughs> why did you go in there? You know, why did you start down this path? But was that something that you kind of knew then that you were going to do something in the arts or did you have other interests? Honestly, you know, how it worked for me was, so I was like the art kid in high school too. Mm-hmm. So I'd spend my study halls in there making work and and lunch sometimes, hanging out with my friends, just making paintings. I was I was actually making a lot of work about Matthew Shepard at the time, which mm-hmm. is interesting because that had just occurred. But I didn't think I was going to study it. I was going to study public relations, which is so funny coming back to now doing a podcast. But yeah, I, I was going to study public relations and minor in studio art. And I discovered that I would never put any time into my public relation classes, but I would be like up all night working on my drawings and paintings. So that was when I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I want to be doing. And I actually transferred schools so that I would go to Wright State University um, in Dayton, Ohio. And it was there where I was accepted to travel to Italy And it was at that time that I really, really knew that painting was my path, that that's what I needed to be doing. It was just such an inspirational trip. I met one of my best friends who I'm still really close with, Rebecca Sargent. She's a painter. And and that's really when it started for me. So I was probably about 20 at that point. So interesting. Was it was it something where you were able to then go and travel kind of like right away then? You know, like I, I'm curious where that fit in in terms of a timeline, because most mm-hmm. people when they're starting college, you know, they're taking drawing and they're like, I've already drawn this stuff in high school. Why do I have to be here? Mm-hmm. Did you go right away then? Because I would imagine that kind of trip is the kind of thing that you know, postcards are made out of art postcards where you talk about your time traveling overseas and, you know, have European coffee. And, you you know. know, what's so funny is I actually have those art postcards because I never sent them. So I literally still have like, <laughs> dear mom, Italy right. and Florence is beautiful. But basically how it worked was, you know, I did a freshman year at Otterbein University and they had a really, I'm sorry to say this Otterbein, but really bad art program. And I was I was not that great of an artist, but I was like the best artist there. And so when I transferred to Wright State, I remember walking into my drawing one class and I was like, I got this. And I like went and talked to my uh, faculty member and, and friend now, Glenn Sebula. She's a great painter. And I was like, 
I already took drawing class at my <laughs> old school, so I think I could probably go to drawing too. And he's like, oh, well, okay, well, why don't you just go through this class and we'll talk afterwards? And we were, of course, drawing boxes from observation. And <laughs> <laughs> I drew this box for three hours. I had no idea how to work from observation. I had no idea how to like measure or work with angles. Everybody else had like moved on. Of course, they'd finished drawing this box and they were starting to like kind of work on like these new compositions. And I was, I mean, it was such a moment of really having to suck it up, right? Like your ego. And I, I walked up to Glenn afterwards and I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to take drawing one. And he was like, I think that's great. And what's funny is from that point on, Wright State was a, a really affordable college and I was able to get some art scholarships. So I took a drawing class every single semester. You didn't have to, but I just fell in love with drawing and observation and it ended up going into um, doing inventive drawings and uh, inventive abstract drawings, which turned into inventive figure drawings. But yeah, that, that was the moment. So it was after that class that I got to go to Italy. And I think, I think Glenn also, re he, he led the trip. I think he respected that I saw that, hey, I need to step back and, and learn these basics because most students were just kind of wanting to get out, you know, like, oh, mm -hmm. whatever. I just need to get my credit. So, yeah. <laughs> well, and it's interesting, too, because just recently um, and again, I feel like this is name dropping when I, you know, mention a recent podcast. But, you know, David Stanger was on recently and he was talking about that relative to, you know, abstraction where. You know, a lot of the, the abstract heroes, you know, started working from the figure, working from observation. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how that all got imbued in their work and kind of gave it this richness. Again, that totally makes sense. And it's super interesting to think about how representation feeds the work, especially to kind of see the, you know, the cycles that it, it's kind of gone through. And so to think about your experience there, I mean, did you kind of you kind of wrap them making, you know, abstract ish kind of paintings where they kind of based on anything or just kind of formal investigations of color, line, texture, all that good stuff? So it was really an investigation of, of geometry is what I was really getting into. I was making a lot of charcoal drawings. I was obsessed with Mercedes Matters charcoal drawings. So kind of how she would work from a still life and find these abstract points within it and how, you know, thinking about composition. So th that's really what I was doing for a while. And then I discovered I, I missed the figure. And this has actually been a cycle I've noticed throughout my life because I've dipped in and out of making abstract paintings, but I always end up missing the figure. Mm -hmm. And so what I did was I would start working on a drawing and break it down into some really you know great movements and thinking about geometry. And then I'd start to pull figures out of it. So I wouldn't really have an idea of where the drawing was going. Rather, I would start to kind of invent what was happening. So I'd be like, oh, this this would be an arm. This is a figure here. Oh, this I'm, I'm going to push this space back by having like this dark space that goes into a tunnel or whatever it is. And that was such a great experience for me because then as I left undergrad, I was doing inventive figure paintings based off of this process of just basically starting with a charcoal drawing and, and not really having that many ideas, but allowing the piece and the process to lead me to the painting. It's interesting to think about that cycle of, you know, abstraction and representation and, you know, especially how that's found a way in your work. And I'm, you know, of course, curious from a linear perspective, you know, like, was it something then that you kind of immediately were like, oh, I got to go to grad graduate school and become a professor? Did you, you know, kind of work at one of those awesome retail jobs where nobody <laughs> cares that you have a, you know, BFA in painting? You know, I worked at Hobby Lobby, like I'll tell religiously, I worked at Hobby Lobby for, you know, almost three years and nobody, nobody would listen to the fact I have an art degree. This mat looks awful, you know, <laughs> but what, what did I you wind up that. doing? 
So um, I love that you're working at Hobby Lobby doing that. That I had friends that actually worked at Michael's, you know, and um, a friend that ended up doing like flower arrangement at Flowerama. So all the jobs we have, right? So after I graduated from undergrad, I, I knew I wanted to go to grad school. And I decided, you know, I was going to have like this year to really prep everything and get everything together. I ended up getting this job randomly for Nielsen ratings. And what it was is I would show people movie trailers and get their response. And I got paid per interview. And my, my boundaries, I was like, I'll go talk to anybody, you know, whatever. Uh, mostly I'm getting paid per interview. So I actually made like a killing doing it. And it's funny they ended up wanting me to become a manager. And I was like, no, not going to be taking on that responsibility. This is just a way to afford paint and my studio. And I had this incredible studio at Front Street Lofts in Dayton, Ohio. I mean, it was huge. It was beautiful, so much light. And I split it with my friend that I met in Italy, Rebecca Sargent. And we both, um, you know, we both just painted. It was such a great year because there really wasn't any pressure. I mean, of course, I wanted to go to grad school, but you know, now making paintings, you know, that there's going to be more people looking or, you know, you're older and you understand more or you should understand more or something like that. Whereas at that time, I just wanted to make work. You know, Mm -hmm. I was making these big, really big oil paintings with a lot of saturated color, again, coming out of this idea of literally just putting paint blobs on there and then making it into something like allowing something to come out of the painting and, (laughs) you know, taking my slides because I applied to grad school with slides. So getting the tungsten (laughs) film and the lights and all of that stuff and getting it ready, ready to apply. And so I applied to Boston University, Indiana University, WashU, and of course, like Yale and Columbia. And I ended up getting into Boston University which is really where I wanted to go. I wanted to be on the East Coast. I really loved Boston. I visited a couple times. And I was really into John Walker's work because it made a lot of sense from where I was coming from, thinking about painting. So the way he was building his work, the way he was able to make movements with color, the idea that they were abstract paintings, but they really referenced, you know, the landscape or, um, you know, he also had like a sheep skull that he would have in it, which is called an Alba. Uh, he was also really interested in Australian Aboriginal work, which is something that I was interested in as well. Also ideas of telling stories through work that would kind of reference the figure. So anyway, I was really excited. I got into BU and uh, yeah, I moved out to the East Coast and, and got into my studio. And it was a, a wonderful experience there because, you know, John, he's now retired. I think he retired a couple of years ago, but we were just really in our studios all the time. And there's pros and cons with that, of course. You know, some people will say you need to be getting out. Mostly now, I feel like it's like, go out, you know, mm-hmm. see more shows, do this, do that, make connections. But it was really kind of an extension of that time that I had in Dayton, Ohio at Front Street Lofts, where I was just making some crazy weird work. And of course, there was a pressure because we, you know, my first critique there was actually with Peter Sheldahl. And that was intense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he had a quite the reaction to my work that wasn't positive. But mm-hmm. When you look at so much work, sometimes it's hard to have a reaction. So if it's a really bad reaction, that's still a reaction. Right. <laughs> Which made me feel slightly better. But but yeah, so I spent two years in Boston working with a lot of abstract painters. So I, I ended up really swinging into that and the figure dissolved from it. Well, and again, it, it seems like I would imagine then color and color exploration has always been something that you're really interested in. I would imagine even back then. 
Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I love working with color. It's one of the reasons I really loved working in the landscape. So of course, when I was working from observation and going out into the landscape, there's just so many colors that you can pull and see like these purple shadows that occur. I mean, same thing with skin, like of the figure, right? Like these purples and greens. And that was like my obsession. Like I would be like, you could always tell <laughs> when you see a painter, like, and they're just like staring at a shadow on the side of the mm -hmm. street and, and, you know, they're seeing some really great stuff, some really great color. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah, that was something that, um, I was really interested in and, and making inventive work and, also making abstract work, it takes on a whole nother level, right? There's a lot of pressure, I think, in being able to work with color in that and mostly highly saturated color. Uh, so there were moments where I would take it all out, right? And just work in black and white. I also really like working in woodblock prints. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's a reason why it's because I can get rid of the color and kind of focus and think about larger movements of value and then kind of bring that back into the work. Was there anybody that you were kind of looking at that kind of helped inform that in terms of that, you know, really kind of influenced the way that you could kind of see your work, you know, transitioning? And obviously it's, even in what you have represented on your website, uh, ericabhest.com, which you should definitely go check out, you know, you can see this, uh, that evolution or that, you know, going from abstraction to representation back to abstraction and, you know, mm -hmm. where that kind of all fits in. But mm -hmm. were there artists that were, you know, really influential in terms of thinking about how you could move that forward and... Mm -hmm. Oh, 100%. So in grad school, when I finally kind of let the, the figure go in there, because before I was always like, well, you know, my, my goal was to make figurative work that also like spoke to abstraction, right? Because when you really get down to it, and you're thinking about how things move, how things flow, how somebody enters a painting, they're, of course, really similar. But then I discovered the work of Mary Hellman. And to be honest, I hated her work when I saw <laughs> it at first. I was like, what is this? you know, that kind of painting, I was a painter's painter, you know, so I had this like strong emotional reaction to her work. And then it got stuck in my head. And I just kept thinking about her work and thinking about her work because I'd, I'd seen it at the Whitney Biennial, I guess, like maybe 2006 or right around that time, 2007. And I ended up going to the library and I got a book on, on her and I read about her and I looked at her work and I just kind of fell in love with it. You know, she talks a lot about growing up in California and the movement of the waves and, and being out on the ocean and how that kind of feeling inspired her work. So it was more of like these feelings coming through. And it was really the first time I started thinking about what feelings do I want somebody to walk away with when they look at my work? Because before it had really been about, you know, thinking about color, saturation, and the movement there and how things are going to sit on the picture plane. And I really had left behind that other portion of art, which is really powerful, which is how does it make somebody feel? So I was looking at her work and then Joanna Greenbaum. And I love, I still love both of their, their work. Um, Joanna Greenbaum, I, I loved how she was able to use, you know, like thin paint in some areas, scumbling in another area, build it up in another area. There was just so much for my eye to connect to in that. And I could just I could just like live in those paintings for a while. And um, that really inspired me. And so, you know, I was looking at those two painters as I, I left graduate school and I ended up moving uh, to Brooklyn for a couple of years where I worked as an artist assistant, which was a, a really wonderful experience because I got to see firsthand how, how artists were working in their studio and the work that they were making. And I got to see more of Mary Hellman's work and, and Joanna Greenbaum's work. And, you know, this is kind of when zombie formalism was at its mm -hmm. height. <laughs> 
And, you know, I, I was making, I don't think that my paintings were exactly in that realm, but I was making abstract work. I had a really great studio in Gowanus and I loved that studio. It was very small, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, I would go in and I would just be flipping paintings around, you know, and I, I got into sanding, wet sanding, oil paintings. These were paintings I'd work on for a really long time. They were larger, probably around five feet or so. Mm-hmm. And I'd work on, I worked on most of those paintings for about a year. But that was also at the time where I started to feel like this is not what I want to be making because I, I described it to somebody as I felt like I was stumbling around in the dark and I'd occasionally bump into something and I would grasp onto that right. desperately <laughs> to move forward in the painting. And um, it was causing me a lot of anxiety. I, this was at the time, too. I was working on pretty much any – I was broke, right? Mm-hmm. So I was working on any, like, stretcher or anything I could find that I could put a canvas on. And, and I had a studio visit with Melissa Meyer, a really fabulous painter who I was also working for. And she came in, and she's like, you really need to just, like, work on a few of the same size. Like, you know, have, like, so many 5 by 4 so many 24 by 18 or whatever it is that you're going to do. But start working that way. And that's when I, I did. I listened to her advice, and I still listened to it. It was such a, such a turning point for me to be able to have something else to grab onto as I worked through those paintings. But that's also when I started working uh, as a, a series, too. I, I work in a series. So I work on multiple pieces at once um, mm-hmm. kind of concerning the same idea. Well, and something that occurs to me, too, you know, we talked a little bit about this, you know, figure, which we were talking earlier about the figure and working from representation and how that kind of creeps back into your work a little bit. But to kind of go back into some of the more older stuff on your website, again, if that's somewhat representational in terms of, you know, what the work looked like postgraduate school, one of the things that occurs to me is that there's still a lot of like figure ground relationships where there's this kind of central figure or object or you know, weird abstraction with, with essentially like a background that also kind of shifts into the work that kind of comes after. So I still think that there's still that that kind of relationship still, even if it's mostly focused on, you know, abstraction and these kind of interesting icon almost looking type, you know, figurative elements with all these, uh, you know, various textures and lines and Anyways, maybe you could describe some of that work a little bit better, too. Oh, no, 100%. You are 100% on that, right? So I started to discover that I was kind of having the symbolic set-in of a figure. And I mean, in some of them, it's like 100% evident, right, that I'm, I'm starting to reference, again, yeah, that figure-ground relationship. So these are actually probably about hmm, five years, four years after grad school. Mm-hmm. This is when the figure starts to slowly creep back into my work. So all of these paintings from um, 2013 are the ones I think that you're looking at. They were actually, this is, this is an interesting change in my work as well. They were all created digitally because I was traveling for work. And I was really lucky after grad school. So I told you I moved to New York City and I was working there and I was actually really unhappy in New York. It wasn't a space for me to be at that time. I don't think I felt pretty overwhelmed and I was broke. Like I said, I mean, it was like 2000, what, nine, everybody was just so poor. So it's kind of nice to be with other artists as we're all kind of struggling to make our work, to find employment, all of that stuff. But um, after a few years of that, it was kind of exhausting and I decided I was going to leave. 
And I was very, very lucky in that I got a job at University of Michigan um, where I was to travel and talk to art students about their portfolio. So it was it was such an awesome job. But the downside of it is that I was on the road a lot. So the cool thing is I got to go to a lot of studios. I got to see a lot of work. But I was only in my studio on the ground for a certain amount of time. So the way I was able to balance that was I decided I tried to do watercolors like on the road. It just did not work for me. I know that works for some artists who are traveling. It did not work for me. Not for an oil painter. No. And and so what I decided to do is, you know, David Hockney was starting to do a lot of iPad drawings at this time. Mm -hmm. And I I love David Hockney. I love, well, I I love most of his work. And then there's, of course, work because he was so experimental as well that I'm not as into. But that's another reason that I love him so much. Mm -hmm. And so he was doing these iPad drawings and I saw them out in San Francisco and he had them printed out. So they were like 10 feet tall and they were just beautiful. And they still had this mark. And I thought, you know, if David Hockney's, you know, who's always kind of introduced technology into his work is going to be doing this, I'm going to do this, you know, like, why not? So I I started doing these, these drawings on the road, knowing I had a show coming up. And so these pieces, again, uh, girl talk, I was listening to a lot of girl talk too. I don't know if you listen to him at all, but um, he's an interesting, um, an interesting DJ. And also kind of talk to what was happening into the work, which is putting different pieces together to make a whole. So I would take these drawings home uh, to my studio and work on them again because I was preparing for a show, which I was really lucky to have. And yeah, this is what happened was trying. (laughs) And as I was doing it, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm starting to think about a figure here. This is like definitely, (laughs) you know, referencing that. Yeah. So that was what was kind of going on there. (laughs) Yeah. Again, there's one from that period called uh, Back and Forth Forever. Mm-hmm. And like many of them, you can kind of see that kind of relationship, you know, where there's this kind of thing that just takes up. Maybe it's more detail or more texture or just more overlapping of other shapes. Mm-hmm. But again, it's really interesting to think about that and especially, you know, like how that kind of continues to shift. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hopefully we're not jumping too far ahead. But I mean, again, notice noticeably that shifts, you know, to me in 2015, when you yep. literally start bringing the figure back into it. So. How, mm-hmm. how did that come about? Because it looks like there's maybe portraits, but then maybe also some self-portraits by chance. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So um, in 2015, I had a baby, actually. It was my first child. And at, when I was pregnant, I started doing a lot of drawings that I didn't show anybody, but they were all drawings from observation. Like it was the first time I'd actually drawn from observation since undergrad in my sketchbook, you know, and I felt really compelled to do this because I think a beauty of drawing from observation is recording a moment in time, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So something that's around you or happening, and they're just wonderful to look back on. And I also was feeling really connected to my body in a way that I hadn't been before, right? So, so yeah, I did all these, these self-portraits, of me and my husband, um, of me in a mirror, you know, like there's some pregnancy drawings too that I did. And I forgot that when you draw from observation, for me, I kind of go into like this meditative state where you're just kind of in the flow of responding and you're seeing what's below whatever's in front of you, right? So like a structure or like the value structure or all of these beautiful abstract elements that sit under the figure or whatever's around us. So I started making those drawings and I was like, this is it. 
this is the what I've been waiting for. This is the switch back to the figure because I always knew I was going to be going back to the figure. And I was like, this is obviously what I need to be doing. It's what I want to be making. You know, I've been like slowly creeping up on it, but I just need to rip the bandaid off and start working with the figure again. So I was really lucky. And I had a show at Boston University when my daughter was eight months old. But that meant I made a shit ton of work. <laughs> I can say that on here, but sure. ton of work when she was a baby. I don't. I honestly don't know how I I did it. Looking back on it, but I had set it up specifically to make sure I didn't stop painting because I did have a fear, like, oh my god, I'm gonna have a baby, and like, what happens if I never paint again? I think as painters, we always kind of have this weird, anxious anxiety. Mm-hmm. I decided, so I was going to make these figurative paintings, and what had happened when I had my daughter, and I had her in Boston, and like I said, I'm from Ohio, is we received all these flowers from people, and I was just, I mean, I was just so shocked and so in love with everyone because I had this beautiful new baby, and people were sending me flowers, people I hadn't spoken to in ages that were like, that knew me when I was, when I was a kid, Mm -hmm. and it was just such a beautiful gesture. And so I decided to do the Flower Bearer series, which is um, what you're seeing here in 2015. And so the whole point of it was to show somebody gifting flowers. But when you look at it, depending on your situation, you wonder, like, are they receiving the flowers or are they giving the flowers? And that was really the idea behind them was, you know, are you giving or receiving? And I did quite a few of these paintings. And it's funny because the first couple, I was a little rusty because I had worked in the figure for a while that way, inventing. And these paintings too, they really bring together a lot of different uh, resources. So I take photos, you know, of friends and family and like poses that I kind of wanted to work with. And then a lot of times they're invented um, as well. So it's kind of bringing together all these different ways of working in order to to get the image that I want. Yeah, well, it's interesting because, you know, they start to become almost more narrative based then, you know, they start to talk a little bit more about, you know, your, you know, experience and in, in becoming a mother. And it seems like there's a definite shift in terms of thinking about that relative to the work that comes before. There's almost like in a way like they're you're talking about the thing that you were kind of describing before, but now it's more literal. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, that, that idea of moments is something that's kind of really interesting, too, because even, you know, some of the work that comes later seems like it's much more about that representation then. But and also kind of exploring these, dare I say, fantastic environments or, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and again, mm-hmm. it's just really interesting because like there's ones and again, let's talk about some, you know, maybe specifically, which I'm assuming is a, a self-portrait, but it could be wrong, is a Voyager one. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's so interesting that, that you picked this one. Um, this is a piece that has been shown in a few different places, which has been really great. People have responded to it. So this piece, um, it's actually, it's not a self-portrait. It's a portrait of a friend of mine mm-hmm. who at the time that I ended up having um, a baby, she's my best friend, actually, she decided to part ways with me. And so I did this kind of painting as a way to kind of process that. And I think that's something I'd say about a lot of my paintings too, is I always say they're kind of all self-portraits in a way because they're always kind of responding to my situation. That's something I've become really aware of is depending on what's happening in my life, my work uh, definitely responds to that. So in this painting, I did, I really wanted to be like upping the contrast level between like for the values mm-hmm. and then also really work with that deep purple and then yeah, that kind of yellow green, that glow that could kind of happen. And this piece actually goes it has a a partner piece which is voyager 2 so thinking of these people kind of 
um, looking and watching from from a position that's kind of further away from you. What I also liked about it was the purple that I was using in the body is something that I use a lot of times um, to explore the sky, mm -hmm. right? And so like, how am I going to work that into the actual body itself and really, again, pump up those dark values and have movement through that? So that's something I'm always kind of thinking about too, is like, how do you move through the painting? Well, and then there's another one that is really interesting because it kind of starts to have that that presence of a, a portrait, but then it kind of gets dissolved, which is flower bearer, heritage, hunt, hunting hat. Yeah. Which definitely you could say has a complementary color scheme. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but again, it's interesting because there's almost kind of like this figurative element that kind of becomes silhouetted. To think about it relative to the process, I mean, is that something that you go in knowing or you're just you know, starting with an element that, you know, you like, and then you're kind of like responding to it. Like, I don't know, maybe, maybe you could provide a little bit more insight there. Mm -hmm. So yeah, in this piece, when I went into it, I knew I wanted to show um, this action from a different vantage point. That was something I was really thinking about because I'm like, oh my God, how many ways am I going to show this? Right. So I've set up a problem for myself, which is like the exchange of flowers. How are we going to do that? I like the idea of um, blocking somebody's face and um, how you could kind of work with uh, the the space within there. And so for this one, I went in and I'm like, oh, what happens if I'm like looking from above? And then it kind of built from there. Originally, I didn't have the shadow the way that it is right now. I really just wanted to be showing the top of a hat. And so I was painting that in and then like the top of the flowers. And then I started thinking of like a light source and how would a light source function and really like amping it up. So there still are these kind of abstract elements that happen. Like I, you know, I'm never going to be like a realist painter. That's not really what I'm interested in personally. And so I also wanted it, when you look at this, to ask like, which way is the person looking? Do they have their face, their, their hat on backwards and they're looking out of the picture plane and those flowers are behind their back and so they're lit from the front or are they holding them in front of themselves? And so really allowing viewers to look at the painting in a lot of different ways. This is actually one of my favorite paintings that I made from that series. It's also, I've always been interested in pattern. And mm -hmm. so for that one as well, having kind of like a pattern of the grass so it's not really looking you know, like grass but kind of starts to sit up right? Mm -hmm. um, towards the picture plane and, and have that. And it's also a nod to Lois Dodd. She has, you know, those paintings of her painting the landscape and it's her shadow on the ground. And I just, I love those paintings. So it was a nod to her as well. So to think about that, like, as it kind of, you know, what, what was the shift then where you started kind of incorporating more, it looks like more still life. I mean, at least mm -hmm. in the following year, you know, coming up from that or a couple of years, you know, there's mm -hmm. still some figurative elements in there, but then, you know, there's a number of breakaways, which is to me, again, kind of like these, you know, maybe studio paintings or still life mm -hmm. paintings. And then also mm -hmm. these ones that are kind of like more like these fantastical type mm -hmm. paintings or again, maybe like, again, one that I could just kind of point out around the lake tonight, again, kind of mm -hmm. elicits that, you know, maybe w the work that even is somewhat present now in terms of some of the night scenes and, mm -hmm. you know, kind of incorporating these fantastical kind of landscapes. 100%. That was definitely a turning point for me, that painting right there. I ended up creating, I think it was like four larger pieces because the ones that you were looking at earlier, I think they're like uh, 16 inches or 18 inches, something smaller like that. And then around the lake tonight is 30 by 24. And so I did a series of four of those pieces, really kind of thinking about the figure. And it was in that painting, it was that one. And then uh, may all your favorite bands stay together. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Where again, like if you look at the bands together one, there's of course the pattern that starts to occur in the sky of the stars that is also mimicked in the Grateful Dead sweatshirt. Mm -hmm. And um, I started really getting into that, like 
making a pattern in the sky with stars and how that kind of starts to sit and how I could make a really thin wash to have the sky set back and then really build up the figure or whatever it was in the foreground. And it was through those that I, I really got into the paintings I'm, I'm making right now. But I discovered, you know, I was kind of inventing a lot, like I'm inventing these flowers, right? And I discovered like flowers are really freaking hard to paint, you know? <laughs> and I was like, I'm just going to take a moment and I'm I'm going to work from observation. And I set up all the still life paintings you're seeing were actually made in about a month and a half. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of parameters around them. I made 33. And what I would do is it was like the summertime. And again, I had a baby. And what I would do is I'd put her down for her nap. So for people out there that, you know, have children, you know, your kid will sleep hopefully for about like two hours, you hope. So mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'd also been teaching at BU at that time, a drawing class. And I'd, uh, I'd gone into a little bit of acrylic work and I'd given them panels. So I had all these extra panels that were 12 by nine inches. So the parameters for me were okay, I'm going to work on these panels because I can work a lot faster. You know, the paint just slides on there and slips around. Um, I'm going to work from direct observation from these flowers. I got flowers once a week and I would kind of rearrange and work with them throughout the week. And I would do a painting a day and it was a one-shot painting and it would be done while my kids slept. And for me, it was, um, they're all called, uh, I did this, I did that. And they were based off of the idea of the lunchtime poems that Frank O'Hara, um, Mm -hmm. had written. And I really, I really love Frank O'Hara. If you guys haven't read why I'm not a painter, uh, read it so good. Um, it's something I give to students or to friends. I'll like send it to them in a card. Anyway, so his idea is he made really short, quick poems on his lunch break. And that's what I thought about these paintings. These are quick, fast paintings that I'm going to make while my child sleeps. And they're kind of a recording again of that, that idea of time and the moment and, you know, being able to kind of look back and think of them. And so, so yeah, I, I made 33 of these in a month and a half to kind of strengthen being able to paint these flowers for the Flower Bearer series. But as I did them, I started to become really obsessed with my studio wall. So you're going to notice as they progress, right. <laughs> I zoom out and I start like painting the walls that have paint marks on it. And in so many ways, it was it was like painting the sky, right? Which is something I, I really love to do and what I'm, I'm really focusing on right now. But, you know, when you paint the sky, it becomes really concrete in places and then poof, kind of blown out in other areas. And that's what started to happen with this wall. In certain areas, I was able to like make it really sit in space. And then other areas, I just wanted it kind of to dissolve, you know, and you'd see like these paint marks that I had from from working in my studio. It's actually really funny. I submitted work for the show and the guy was like, oh, I, you know, I really like your work. We're going to be shutting down the gallery, but I'm saving your work so I can show it to my students for how to really paint a wall. Because <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't really been, you know, totally, it's always in hindsight, right? Where we really start to notice things about our work. And I was like, oh yeah, like, I guess I really can paint a wall, you know, <laughs> like what a thing to be known for. So yeah, so I started doing these paintings of the wall and I moved away from the flower because I always had these like postcards that I was putting behind into postcards of uh, my travels from like when I've been traveling a lot or or I bought a bunch of these universe postcards of like this you know of the galaxy or or different things like that and kind of became the symbolic element to add in there I I love having like a picture within a picture like I love that idea Mm -hmm. but also kind of referencing kind of the things that I was thinking about which was 
you know, not to get too like esoteric or anything, but, you know, being connected to the women in my family through having a kid, thinking about time. I'm really interested in like these types of ideas of uh, the movement of time and how we view time. So yeah, that's really what those paintings became about. And then they um, ended up leading to uh, the work that I made this past year. And I was really lucky to show it in Philly at Wonder Life Gallery. And I really was like, okay, I really want, I want to get back into painting the sky. And I love the abstract qualities again that you find in the sky. So working with that, having a narrative. And then I started doing these digital drawings as well of objects that I'd find on the ground, you know, and again, having that abstract element in the grass, um, mm -hmm. these lines overlapping, thinking about color, and it gave me a different color scheme to work with too. So yeah, well, it's, it's interesting to think about how the still life and studio kind of paintings, the wall paintings, they also start to become a little bit more spatial, which if you think about like the work, you know, straight out of graduate school or not long after was still pretty kind of flat. Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting to think about how even just that like short little investigation kind of like leads into, you know, again, the uh, water witches, which I, you know, of course posted on, on studio break, uh, the Instagram page. But again, it's just interesting to think about that in terms of there's still like areas that kind of are very self-referential, like it's a painting, you know, there's areas that are flat and texture, but then there's still this like interesting space, but then there's this also kind of like suggested narrative. So, uh, mm -hmm. not to sound too silly, but it's like, you took all those things, <laughs> you know, and started, you know, combining them in a way that kind of sets it up into a, maybe like a different realm. Mm -hmm. How are you planning or kind of processing out an idea like with that, with that painting in particular, is that something where you're like writing down what you want to elicit? Do you see it in your head? Are you taking again, all these sources and pulling together? How does that come about? Mm -hmm. So um, it starts kind of in my head. Like for this piece, I was, I really wanted to do another night painting. So like really wanted that color of the night. And I'd been shifting through different um, skies, as you can see. So I did like this pink sky, like the desert, uh, this green sky, a yellow sky. So it's kind of like shifting through that, just working primarily with color at first. Then I... I really wanted to be painting kind of like these warm scenes. That's something I, I personally just enjoy. And I wanted to be having that in there. So what I was doing is I started just painting it, like painting the sky, just inventing it. Same thing with kind of the water. And then I ended up pulling an image offline of, of people in a, um, in a swimming class mm -hmm. <laughs> and like, okay, how am I going to, how am I going to paint that and trying to keep it really loose, of course, but to show like this kind of star that they're creating as they're like working together. And, and like I said earlier, kind of always thinking kind of of, of uh, a light source. So I wanted kind of this light kind of coming out of this aqua water and this circular movement. So in a lot of ways, you know, I like what you're saying about pulling everything together that I've done because I feel like as painters, it's something we do, right? Um, Stanley Lewis from Chautauqua, mm -hmm. I remember him saying, you're going to spend the rest of your painting career remembering um, something you forgot. And <laughs> I think that's, it's just always stuck with me, right? I think that's so true because we, for me anyway, I cycle through different things. I'm like, I'm going to be really focusing on value. I'm really going to be focusing on color. I'm going to be really focusing on, on space. I'm going to be really focusing on this. And as I cycle through the things, I kind of forget slowly one of the things that I did and then I bring it back in. And so, yeah, I, I think that's kind of how I was, how I approach work in some ways. Yeah. To go back to these paintings that you're talking about. So yeah. So to go back to this current body of work, it's one that I'm currently 
making and going to continue to be making into 2019, um, which is this kind of idea also of women outdoors reflecting and thinking about where they sit in life. And so that's kind of the narrative that I've been been working with. Well, is that more autobiographical? Is that stuff that you, you know, hear through friends or see like on the news or is mm-hmm. there are there influences in terms of, again, like, as I can say, uh, my wife was in a production of Annie Get Your Gun, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> which is, of course, based off of a musical. But I mean, again, I mean, is there a particular, you know, thing that's kind of setting off, like, say, a painting like that versus maybe one of the other investigations? Again, I'm really interested in thinking about how, you know, mm-hmm. that process, you know, kind of works. Because, it, mm-hmm. again, it's, it's like you were saying about, you know, somebody photographing a shadow. I mean, it, it's sometimes like the smallest thing that'll kind of stimulate that response to make something. You know, it's it's so interesting um, that you bring that up. One of the artists that I actually interviewed on I Like Your Work, she's a, a great friend and a wonderful painter, Elizabeth Mooney. She actually lived down the street from me, and so she's a painter, so we'd get together a lot and talk about paintings. And it was right after I'd had my, my second kid, so I have two, two children now. And she had just gotten back from New York, and she had had this wonderful brunch with an artist who, sadly, I, I don't know her name, but she's a photographer, and she'd just gotten back from France. She's older. And she's also a mom. And she said, one thing you can do to really help you through this time is to get up and meditate every morning. She's like, I would get up, you know, before my kids got up, I would meditate for 20 minutes and it just set my day and I do it still like 30 years later. And so when she said that, I was like, oh my God, like, yeah, I I used to really have a strong meditation practice. And so after that, I I, I walked back to my house and I, you know, ended up going to my studio and I, I started back up my meditation practice. And these paintings actually come out of that about that spiritual idea about making work that responds to sometimes like kind of things that I see, you know, Mm -hmm. so Annie, get your gun was based off of kind of this like image that kind of came to me, you know, and I was also interested in doing this color combination. And um, another thing about that painting is I really was love the idea of pushing those canyons back in space. And by doing that, by kind of, I don't typically add a lot of white into my paint and I don't do that, but mm-hmm. in there I needed to do that in order to kind of have it, have that hazy base. And also, uh, Annie Oakley was born on my birthday. So, oh. um, kind of trying. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so bringing these things together that start to make sense for me, you know, then uh, the bonfire, again, I, I started with the, wanting to have this green sky and this idea of women coming together. And I had just been on a, a camping trip. And so I, I kind of combined all of those things. And then the birds that I added in just to have a little bit more movement that would occur, it was based off of the birds that I would see a lot at my at my house that I was living at at the time in Boston. And it was something that I was always really interested in was watching the birds and, and surprisingly, a lot of wildlife in Boston. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Turkeys, all kinds of stuff. They really are just a response to the, the things that are kind of happening in my life, or things that I want to happen in my life too, like the water, which is, you know, like, I I want to kind of be in that space. I want to be having that, you know, same thing with the resort one, which I also 
kind of has this weird vibe to it. I, I did another resort painting the the year before, and I always kind of thought of them as like the last resort, you know, like where you go to the space to try and like recover or recoup because you're having a lot of anxiety or whatever's happening in your life. So there are there's a lot of thoughts like that kind of going into those pieces. Yeah. And just to mention it, you know, I, I love the way that you represent water in that resort painting. Again, it's interesting to think about that um, idea of narrative or kind of playing around with these universes, too, because, again, there's another piece uh, behind the veil, which, mm-hmm. again, is like a you know female figure surrounded by all these uh, cacti and porcupine or porcupine. Gosh, isn't that an animal? Gosh, <laughs> I might have to leave that in there just to, just yeah, to mess no, with people. You but, you know, there's all these there's all these cacti, you know. So, again, it looks like a, a slightly dangerous environment. I, again, I can't help but think that there's certain connotations to that. Mm-hmm. That piece, uh, again, kind of like talks about confronting our own, like I said, ex- I, I bring up anxiety a lot because that's actually something that I feel like I do try to cope with. And, and most artists that I know kind of have a bit of anxiety. And so kind of confronting that and the, the title for Behind the Veil was really coming out of this idea of of course, seeing beyond, but also, or, or through, but also with that one, when I had my children, my first child anyway, part of what was happening in that work, and I had said I felt really connected to the women that had come before me, it felt like the veil, you know, between, you know, myself and who the women in my, my life that had passed away was much more thin. And I felt very connected in a way, not to get too like woo-woo-y or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But, um, and even if it wasn't that, just humanity in general, I just felt very connected to humanity. And I thought about the past in a way that I'd never thought about it previously, you know, because I hadn't gone through an experience that called me to do that. And so, again, after having my children, after having that quote unquote veil kind of be lifted a little bit, that's kind of where the piece comes out. Uh, but also within that, you know, there's a lot of hardships, you know, having Having, being responsible for anyone, whether it be maybe of aging parents or you have a child or even, you know, I had cats for a while, that responsibility can be a little prickly and tough at times because there is some weight on your shoulders. So kind of those ideas. And then again, with that piece, I, I also wanted to play with different ways of making pattern, right? So having color shifts between the different cactuses, having that dot, you know, you'll notice that, of course, in the stars and then also in the piece with the Grateful Dead jacket. I love putting like these dots. And then um, kind of this white on white that I was interested in in the figure like the shirt and then you can see like where their pants might be or something it shifts so it's like this reversal of color that's happening so um, a darker background lighter lighter dots I guess brush marks and then with the shirt it's the reverse of that so always kind of trying to balance out like what do I want to paint sure how do I want to paint it and um yeah the painting the water I love painting water (laughs) Well, and also like, you know, you, you talked about how you're going to continue this into the the coming year. Mm -hmm. Are the digital kind of drawings and, you know, working that way is also going to be something that, that kind of helps shape that, um, where do those fit in? Yeah. So the digital drawings that I've been doing recently, um, I made them, I've been making digital drawings basically since 2000, what was it? 13, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I was doing abstract ones now then, but now my digital drawings is primarily always done from observation. So I even do them on my phone sometimes. Like if I'm sitting waiting for someone, like I pop it out and I'll just do a drawing and I love it because there's color and that's, that's why I've really gravitated towards it. So yeah, um, I'm continuing to make digital drawings, uh, right now. And funny thing with them is 
they're typically, like I said, always from observation. <laughs> and it seems like you would want to be doing inventive stuff, right, digitally, because it'd be easier or something. Sure. But I always just draw from observation. So, so yeah, I'm continuing to do these pieces, of, like natural elements that I find uh, or that my daughter finds and kind of brings to me and really working um, with texture within those. Yeah, absolutely. Again, it seems like there's a lot of stuff that you've got going on in terms of this coming year. Again, it's crazy to think we're wrapping up another one, but then oh, you'll, you'll soon have a 2019 <laughs> tab on your <laughs> on your you know painting painting listings. Well, and, and so something to think about too, relative to something that you've talked about, you know, is kind of like all of these, you know, balancing acts that we kind of have to take on in terms of being artists, and you know, especially for somebody that's um, also kind of managing anxieties and you know pressures of all these responsibilities. How has podcasting kind of, you know, fit into that? Again, for some people that might be listening through my podcast that might not be familiar, you what began? Um, I like your work podcast. Uh, is it this year? Yeah, three months ago. It's a it's a newbie podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so is that something that kind of has helped in terms of, you know, thinking about the process and just kind of, it's weird. I feel like when I'm, you know, the most in my head is when I'm the most unproductive. So mm -hmm. kind of taking on the responsibility of like, you know, talking to the people about their studio each week is kind of interesting because it's a, it always seems to find a way to energize me, you know? Oh, 100%. I mean, I've had the exact same response. It's been such a great experience because it's kind of made me, I, I mainly talk to painters right now, but it's made me kind of fall in love with painting a little bit more mm -hmm. if that's possible, you know, <laughs> but hearing people talk about not just their wins, not just the things that they're doing well, but like their struggles, uh, the things that they're concerned about, you know, it, it made me feel less kind of even alone. Like, Oh my God, you're feeling that you're literally thinking about the same thing in your studio that I'm thinking about. Mm -hmm. And that's been really powerful. And that's something that I definitely want to communicate through my podcast is, you know, of course, talking to creatives and people who are making things, but allowing them to kind of talk about what's, what maybe isn't the best thing in their studio. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, and so that's been, it's been great. And it's also connected me to awesome people like you, like it's, so wonderful to connect with you, David, and talk to you on your amazing podcast. I mean, you've just really been cranking away <laughs> for a while. And, and I'm so thrilled that, you know, I get to be part of that. Yeah. And again, maybe a little shout out to Philip Mellon for, yeah. uh, again, <laughs> suggesting this because uh, as I have already spoken with you about, I mean, he had mentioned your podcast um, when I had had him on uh, recently. So again, it's kind of cool the way that these worlds come together. And, you know, we talked a little bit about Instagram and, you know, social media and things like that. But again, it's just really interesting to think about how all these artists find a way of kind of connecting, you know, there's that. Mm -hmm. And I know that you mentioned on that interview uh, that I had mentioned earlier with uh, Elizabeth Mooney, I want to say that there was that kind of briefly mentioned like that, uh, that lovely, you know, artists kind of like passed out on their couch with like chip bags surrounding them and, you know, empty beer cans or something like that, super depressed and kind of like stuck in their studio. But I mean, again, that's something that's really kind of interesting, you know, is that role that, you know, social media and doing podcasts and kind of having, you know, these conversations in your studio practice can kind of help, I don't know, make you feel like somebody's present, Yeah, you know, like you're part of this online community and there's going to be a big meetup 
I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, 100%. And I think that's like one of the amazing things that, you know, Instagram, podcasts, the internet, whatever has, has provided. And, you know, before I had mentioned that I, I just moved back to Columbus, Ohio. And if I didn't have those outlets, I probably wouldn't feel as comfortable moving because, you know, Boston is where I, I know tons of artists, I know the galleries, I know all of these things, but because I can stay connected through uh, different various, you know, venues, I guess, I, I don't feel as as much like our location is a detrimental factor to mm -hmm. what we're doing. You know what I mean? And so I think that's just really helps artists because it's expensive to live in certain areas. And if you can go to a place that is less expensive, still make work, stay connected through listening to podcasts, maybe being a guest or, you know, connecting with people on Instagram, I say, you know, more power to you. No, absolutely. And again, it's just interesting to think about how that'll shift and change. And I'm sure, you know, as we talk in the future, there'll be some kind of way that that's shifted your, your work <laughs> or your process or who knows, maybe you'll have studio assistants that are, <laughs> you know, oh laying God, out grounds for you. Doesn't it sound fabulous? <laughs> like here, no, that's the wrong violet. Repaint it. Can um, they just build my, you know, my panels for me? That's really what I want. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. Well, um, again, just just kind of make sure that as we're, you know, wrapping up, you know, remind everybody where to check out all of your work and, of course, your podcast and where to find you on social media. Yeah, yeah. So my website is ericabhess.com, and that's Erica with a K. Um, and you can see my work and um, everything that's kind of coming up. I'm actually really excited to be in a show. It's going to be in January, end of January, at Wilson Gallery at Anderson University. Um, so that is in Indiana. And there's some other really fabulous artists that are going to be in that. Uh, Carrie Amarada, who's a, a great artist you guys should check out. Uh, Maggie Ogden's going to be in it. Um, she's a Brooklyn-based painter. Uh, Anna Valdez, who's in Oakland, and she's a fantastic painter. So I'm really psyched to be in a show with them. And then you can find my podcast on iTunes or Stitcher if you guys are into that. It's I Like Your Work Podcast. And you can find me on Instagram on I Like Your Work Podcast. Uh, and definitely um, check it out because that's kind of how I discover artists sometimes. And I do a studio visit. So I highlight artists. If you submit work to me, um, I can highlight you for the week. So yeah. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, again, I mean, there's this um, idea where you kind of open up and pursue something and karmically it kind of pays pays back and it seems like again that that's where you're at in terms of all of these you know taking in you know the responsibilities that you have as you know having a family and exploring all these ideas in, in your work and then also with the podcast and again it just seems like it's being paid back in spades oh, well thank you I, lo I love hearing that and i i do truly truly believe like in supporting other artists and creating community which is exactly what you're doing so it's exciting <laughs> i just love that kind of conversation of bringing people together so again i hope people reach out and say hello and again thanks so much for taking the time this morning it's been a whole lot of fun definitely thank you so much david for having me on here it's been a blast Thanks once again to Erica for joining me. Be sure and check out her website, Erica B. Hess. You can see paintings there as well as find I Like Your Work podcast. Be sure and check that out especially and follow on Instagram. Just a reminder, too, that Erica has a group exhibition coming up at the Wilson Gallery at Anderson University January 25th through February 22nd entitled Vision and Verse. Again, some of the artists in the show, Anna Valdez, Carrie Amarata, 
Marta Kramer and Maggie Ogden. So again, very excited to see that. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to check out some of the archived episodes up on studiobreak.com. Again, each of our posts have images of the artist's work, links to their websites, so you can find out more information. You can listen right there in the default player or just hit that iTunes hyperlink and subscribe to the podcast. Of course, we really appreciate when people leave comments there as it helps others find this podcast. And of course, you can also help and earn karma points by spreading the word via social media. So be sure and like our Facebook page. You can, of course, find us on Twitter at Studio Break. And of course, on Instagram, be sure and follow at Studio underscore Break. As always, thanks again to Skylar Mail, who provides the music to Studio Break. You can check out his artwork at SkylarMail.net. If you'd like to see some of my paintings, I will let you know that you can get them available with free domestic shipping through the month of December. Go to DavidLinaway.com. There is plenty of work at various prices, so be sure and check it out. And also note that I am doing a giveaway painting, so if you go to Instagram and find me at DavidLinaway and look for the post entitled uh, Dairy Queen 2, again, you should see it. It looks like a Dairy Queen. If you like that painting, be sure and follow at DavidLinaway and at Studio underscore Break. Leave a comment and tag two friends and you might win that painting shipped to your home so that you can enjoy it. So again, be sure and do that as well. As Studio Break adapts using Instagram more, I do want to encourage you to follow us there and check us out. I would like to thank those that checked out our pre-pre-interview with me and Erica. We talked a bit before via a dual cast. So again, thanks for watching that and hope that you enjoyed some of those interactions. Be sure and say hello. Just some quick shout outs real quick before we get out of here. Thanks to at Tim Ceramics and Philip J. Mellon for suggesting I like your work podcast. Again, kudos. And a special thanks to Lisa Bergant-Coy, who made a wonderful, lovely donation. Really appreciate it. Glad that you enjoy listening to the podcast, and uh, I'll do my best to keep them coming. With that being said, I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you real soon.